Hello and welcome to this episode of Insightfully Speaking. I'm Adam Osborne and I'm here once again with my co-hosts Annie Sinclair and Umberto Schubert, as well as two special guests as we investigate recent events, news and anything that catches our eye, as we look at the world from a spiritist perspective. Our special guests this episode are Natasha Aragon from Oxford and Stephen Bartoso from Dublin. Now before we start, we'd like to give a really big hello and thank you to all those people who downloaded, listened to or watched the first episode. We've had people listening via Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts and other systems as well as watching via YouTube. Thank you to those listening on your computers, your phones and even your smart watches. From Walthamstow to Windsor, Southampton to Sheffield, throughout America, Brazil, Australia, Norway, Spain, Denmark, France and Finland. Thank you to everyone for watching, listening, liking, sharing and for sending us your constructive feedback. It's really good to hear from all of you out there, so please continue to contact us and let us know your thoughts about the show. Amongst the topics of discussion in this episode, we'll be looking at spring, a new mood for a new season. How has the pandemic affected the environment? The new trend in digital materialism and an ancient computer that might make us question everything. We'll also be sharing some of your comments from the last episode, as well as your messages about who or what has kept you motivated during the pandemic. But first of all, let's say hello to my co-hosts. Hello, Annie. Hello, Umberto. How have you been this past month? Very well, thank you, Adam. And uh, I hope you've been well as well. I think that uh, for me, the advent of spring is put a spring in my step to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really has lifted my mood. So I am really looking forward to uh, the coming season. Well, I'm also great, and it is a great pleasure to have two friends as guests today. Well, it's always great to have you guys with us, and of course we've got our two special guests again. So we have, first of all, Natasha Aragon, who's an environmental engineer from Oxford and coordinator of the Oxford Spiritist Study Group, as well as Stephen Patozo, who's a data analyst from Dublin and the coordinator of the Spiritist Society of Ireland. Welcome, Natasha. Welcome, Stephen. So how has 2021 been for you so far, and how have you been coping during the pandemic? Ladies first. How have we been coping? Well, thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much, everybody, for inviting me over to the program today. This is quite exciting. I have the same feeling as Anne. Um, 2021 um, has been starting a little bit gloomy here in the UK, but uh, I think the advent of spring is bringing everybody a little bit to, you know, a spring to our step. Uh, it's good to be seeing the sun brightening again, flowers coming out, and it's amazing how the more sunlight can just bring our spirits up and just make everybody feel much much happier about everything um so we're coping well and we are just riding the wave as it comes which is the best we can do well here in ireland about the same we're not too far from you guys the only difference here we we got more rain than you but <laughs> it's okay yeah yeah it's okay it's fine yeah, the, the, the flowers blossom here, bright. It's good to, to spend more time 
in a daylight. And uh, also this come up with good news about the improvements science is getting with all this vaccine, how to treat people. So this is, the, I would say, uh, is not the ideal, but is better than we our better than our merits, and we need to keep fighting, and having this such opportunity like to be here, talk to you, listen to other people, uniting. See what's the big thing we had. We are uniting the world. Like it's it's amazing, you know, it's amazing how when we are challenged and we need to go out out of out of our um, comfort zone. These turn people doing amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a few of you have already mentioned the fact that it is spring. It's spring here in Europe as well as other parts of the northern hemisphere. You know, flowers are starting to bloom, trees are starting to blossom, bees and insects are appearing here and there, and the daylight is lasting just that little bit longer each day. So, first question: Do you think the changing of the seasons? can also help change our mood. And how could we use this moment to help boost our mental well-being? Well, um, since uh, ancient times, we have myths about the changing of seasons, and uh, they are all connected to a basic rational understanding of the world, uh, an attempt to rationalize and to make sense of uh, reality. And uh, from this perspective, from, from mythologies and uh, legends uh, about the weather or about the cosmos or about the seasons, we learn that it is uh, pretty deep, pretty much rooted in, in the human soul, in, in the human understanding of nature, of the world, of uh, the being uh, and the, the stage where we, we live that we all uh, share. So it seems to be, uh, yes, something very, very fundamental. And it is hard to, to believe that it does not have anything to do with our biorhythm and uh, even our conscience. And I think uh, I'd like to add to that uh, a topic that uh, I was discussing with some friends uh, only yesterday, which is reincarnation. And sometimes we are looking at the long picture and say, oh, I live a life, then I can have a reincarnation, I can be born again into a new life. But we can reel this a little bit backwards and you can say, uh, in a way, spring is like a new incarnation. Because, like say, the wood was dead, nature was sleeping, and suddenly it comes alive, full of life and reproduces and creates and creates new hope and moves us forward. So for me, it almost feels like the beginning of a new incarnation. So you make a new project, you, you have hope that you can make new things. If you think like Northern Hemisphere, cold places, uh, historically in the winter, we are uh, hibernating. We are in the home, we are keeping warm, we are looking after ourselves, we are sitting, we are waiting. In times of COVID, we are sitting and waiting even more in the home. So now the spring is coming, we can go outside again and we can then have new purpose that we have thought about while we were closed in the house and we come out and we are looking and even if you think the animals, they're looking for love, 
they're looking for reproduction in the spring. So this is an impulse for renewal that is everywhere around, I think, you know, in nature, uh, bringing up in us the, the possibility of uh, starting afresh. And so I took it in that view. It's like, in a way, we could say almost like a new incarnation. We can make new resolutions. We can start new projects. And we have uh, daylight in which to fulfill them until the autumn and the winter come again. We have a big span of time. I didn't want to be chirping in because I have a feeling I would be very biased talking about environment uh, and how environment affects uh, people or me particularly. Um, I think I would totally agree with Anne and Umberto. Um, we have lots of the light brings the best out of people. That's what we realize. And I think that because nature is waking up, we can feel that changing nature. It's more than normal for us to be feeling that change within ourselves as well. If you have any sort of connection, uh, particularly if you live in the countryside like I do, or even if you don't, you can leave it in the city. It's very hard for you not to be moved by the fact that now you have more birds coming about or that your day has been longer. You, catch, you can actually go to work and come back and still be light time, which is amazing. Um, Stephanie, we're talking about Ireland. I did live in Ireland for four years uh, in Northern Ireland. And I remember that although I loved living there, the winters was actually what was killing me because uh, it was so very little of daylight. And I was really looking forward every time that spring would come just because the light would bring it on the best of us. And I totally seconded on Anne about that. I think we can talk about spring, we can talk about um, Christians talk about uh, Easter, which again, is that's the symbolism. You can pick up on Easter, you can pick up in lots of pagan religions. Everything around spring, it's all about renew, it's about reborn, it's about coming back again. So during the winter, we're going to be on that very low, very sleepy time. And when spring comes back, it's a new opportunity for us to be reborning, for be renewing ourselves, for coming back and just enjoying life. I think it's very, very important. It does, it does influence a lot in our mental health. The worst part is be the last one. What am I going to say now? <laughs> no? <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's a completely agree, you know, like even even the animals they are like they are waking up. So um the sun is part of us. Everything is in perfect synchronization. Um the moon it's has the size it should be, is the is the height it should be, the sun is the size it should be. So everything, everything is connected. We are, without it, like, again, if the sun is a little bit left, a little bit right, or the moon is is in different angle, uh, uh, life is not, uh, uh, um, life is not avail available. You cannot have life on earth. So, of course, they are here. It's like our thoughts. We need to, we need to think like it's like our thoughts. We do have moments of inspirations. We do have moments we are more thoughtful, and we have to have moments we need to act more. 
So this is a moment where you need we need you to plan our actions because summer then is summer. No, put it, put it, everything in action. So uh, I, I like Anne's observation about the link between reincarnation and uh, the seasons because uh, the idea of reincarnation in the West started with the Eleusian mysteries. Uh, Eleusis is a small cave near Athens and uh, many great uh, thinkers and, and mystics and uh, priests in ancient Greece uh, preached reincarnation through the myth of Persephone uh, in a cult or a mystery cult uh, based on uh, that cave, on that place and they pretty much linked the idea of uh, the seasons uh, shift to uh, reincarnation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's already been mentioned just quickly, but yeah, exactly. This time At this time of recording, uh, last weekend was already the spring equinox. And with that, all the various festivals that come along to celebrate life and rebirth. There's this weekend, it's now the Jewish festi festival of Passover. And next weekend will be the Christian festival of Easter. And all of these are very interlinked, not just with timing, but symbolism. So, for example, they all use an egg to, re to show renewal and rebirth. They all have symbolic stories that they use to help with moments of reflection. And they also have traditions of making and consuming certain foods, sometimes quite sweet foods. Um, now, obviously, spiritism is not a religion and doesn't have festivals or celebrations, but leaves it to each one to celebrate any festivities that they want. But what learnings can or should we take from these traditions? It's interesting that um, you mention these traditions because in modern days there is a little bit um, a loss of traditions and rituals and habits that we had as a cultural norm and in a way of reacting to to the past and to past generations. Sometimes we've gone on to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, and uh, suddenly we see a loss of it. And actually, they, they do have a meaning. They are a purpose of coming together and telling stories about our identity as a group, as a family, as a larger clan or whatever it is and so they do have a purpose in helping us understand ourselves and uh, fulfilling um, our need to understand through storytelling and uh, different rituals that involve food or different practices and uh, we of course you can say we don't need any of this of course we don't and lots of these things cause lots of divisions and fights and arguments and all kinds of things because say my celebration is better than yours and that kind of thing but we need to go, go back to thinking yes we need to be constantly celebrating our very existence uh, the passing of time so as we say we have Easter at the time of spring we have Christmas at the time of the winter solstice uh, we can see how these connect and so whichever way we decide to celebrate them that brings us together, I think it's, it's a good thing because we do need to come together, especially now after being through the lockdown and being separated, 
more than ever we realize the importance of coming around the table of sitting together of sharing bread or sharing stories of our of what is common to us in our journey as humans now i think i was thinking something very similar Anne, and uh, so it might be on the same wavelength i think that um although we understand when we study spiritism but also when we study any other religion in depth that um we should worry less about the form and we should worry more about what is it that you're actually trying to say so although many people might think that um you know, every celebration is about rituals and we shouldn't worry too much about it. The truth is that those rituals bring people together. It's a part of our culture, it's a part of our history, it's a part of family traits. Um, and for example, I do have two small children. Sometimes you need those little rituals for you to be bringing up very complex issues that we can start talking to them about. So when you start talking about Easter, it's about Easter bunny, yes, it's about reborning, it's about spring but then is where you use those rituals when you use those cultural um and social and family gatherings it's where you can come up with something very complex and you can deep it in you know you can deep it in you can use it to explain um so i i don't think that this is my personal opinion that we should be going against it and we should not be going to consider that we are better than anyone else or my rituals is better than other rituals. It's um, We just have to ensure that whenever we are doing them, we are not doing it on the, just for the sake of doing them. If I, I don't know if I'm, I make myself clear, you know, when you do something just for the sake of doing, but not really thinking on the reasoning behind it um, and not trying to, to take something deeper out of that. Because I think that that's where lies the problem, is when you start doing the things just for for the outside, just for to show, just because it has to be done, but you don't really take it inside the true meaning behind it. Um, I would say we need, we, it, it's good, this, everything you mentioned, Adam, because today we have <coughs> uh, internet who connects us basically everywhere. Uh, but 2,000 years ago, or even more, they were not connected. They lived in their small world, and they do the same celebration almost at the same time. So they didn't know the existence of one ritual or another ritual. And uh, today, we, we always seek meaning for something. At that time, they didn't have access to resources. They just celebrate the life with the, the, that purpose. And I think we are we are losing these these meaningful for us. We are losing we are we are losing the opportunity to teach these to our. I I, I do myself. I do have like two two girls here, and uh, to taught to teach them these kind of lesson in order to say, hey, this is tradition. This is, this is something not coming from even your grandma, your grandpa, your grand-granddad. No, this is coming for years. And you are replacing these for chocolate eggs, for just presents, instead of the meaning of the real 
what we are really do celebrating here. Well, I, I can only agree with you. I think uh, not only religious rituals, but also social protocols are tools that can be useful or harmful according to the, the use and, and the meaning we apply to them. Very, very valid points. What's the meaning that we put behind the usage of these? And yeah, perhaps we need that little bit, to, little bit more joy with what we do. Celebrate things, celebrate life. It's here for us to enjoy. And as we're talking about that kind of subject, now obviously spring is part of nature. And we know that nature itself has been affected quite dramatically this past year by the pandemic, which is still going on. It's still going on. And during the COVID pandemic, the usage of PPE, the personal protective equipment, has increased everywhere. From hospitals to prisons, hotels to restaurants, in offices and supermarkets, alcohol, gel and sanitation sprays are everywhere and everyone's required to use a face mask whenever they leave the house. So although the reason is positive to help prevent and slow the spread of the virus, the downside is that this has caused a considerable increase in waste, pollution and the general carbon burden on the planet as, of course, energy and resources are needed to make these items. Now, unfortunately, with tighter border controls and reduced global shipping, especially right now with the Suez Canal being blocked, the management of all this waste has been lacking, and many recycling centres around the world don't have the capacity to process all the waste that's been sent to them. So with the hundreds of thousands of tons of additional plastic waste being created, most of this has ended up in landfills or in the sea, adding to the already huge quantities of microplastics that are making their way back into our food stream and water supply. It's currently estimated that we are using 130 billion single-use face masks and 70 billion single-use gloves every single month. The Brighton and Sussex Medical School calculated that an average of 591 extra tonnes of carbon dioxide is being created every single day due to single-use PPE. That's a global average of just over 1% of extra carbon burden on this planet. There are reusable face masks available, and there are companies looking at the production of biodegradable PPE. But my question is, what can... And what should we be doing to help the planet during this pandemic? Oh, Adam, this is very tricky. This is very tricky. Um, first of all, I, I, I think that when we look into the environment, um, we have to look at it on a on a broader scale, and we have to look at it on a you know we, we have to to think about the life cycle of things. So although we are creating lots of pollution created by PPE. On a positive note, the amount of, carb of um, greenhouse gas that we are producing since the lockdown has now not only gone to zero, it's gone into the negative. So we have been within the UK, for example, the last time that we produced so little CO2 was back in 1929, when there was a massive, massive strike about on the mining business. 
So we are reducing the amount of pollution we are creating by airplanes because we cut down air travel. We are cutting down road travel. We are cutting down on public transport. There's lots of things that were positive to the environment because of, of the pandemic. The fact that people were locked away have um, cleared some cities. There are some cities, particularly in China, where it's the first time that they're having a good air quality within years. Uh, there we also last year on the case of Ven uh, v uh, Venice, where the dolphins start coming back towards the river because the water was finally clear. It hasn't been clear for decades. So there's there's lots of things about the pandemic that you know I'm not telling that the that what you said was wrong. I just said it when you look into the environment, it's far more complex and it's it, you have to look it into a broader scale. I think there was lots of positive things that the pandemic has brought to the environment, particularly when it came to exactly that. We, we realized we do not have to travel as much. And we realized that we could maybe work from home. We realized that um, it also created that urge that people now, because they are at home and they are locked in, when they are finally released, they, you know, they enjoy the, the nature much better. They want to be going outside. So all those points are very positive as well. What I think it's a shame is the fact that I was really, really looking forward that humanity could learn from it and we would become less materialistic. We would become more connected to the environment. They don't really work that way. That's not what we are seeing at least. Uh, and the PPE, it's, one, it's a very good case. It's the fact that now we are creating so much more waste than we did. Um, people, because they were stuck at home, they start buying even more things. It's just that now they are buying online instead of buying on the shops. And that created a huge amount of waste uh, that we could have avoided. Because do we really need that many shoes? Do we really need that many things that we're buying just because we want, we are bored and we want to be buying things. It it's not a good thing. Um, but overall, it it's all about to us. It, it has to be going back to us. It's very hard for us to be to be when you talk about environment. It's such a big thing. It's such a global thing. It, it's so dependent on so many factors that the only thing we can control is our own our own actions, our own choices. So do I need to use PPE? I do. That's, that's how it works. Um, the, the amount of PPE worked on the, on the hospitals, on people that work with uh, healthcare, it has to be, you have to throw them away. You cannot use cloth because that's how it works. But do I need it? Maybe I can use one, a, re, a renewable, um, reusable one. Do I, if I am bored, should I be going online and buying things or should I be trying to do something else? I mean, there's lots of lovely recipes you can do. Go baking, go dig your garden. If you don't have a garden, I don't know, go paint your house, anything really. Learn meditation. It's a lovely thing. Occupies the mind and is so good for your mental health. I'm building a pizza oven. In my garden. <laughs> I there you go. House. I paint my house. <laughs> <laughs> you have that many lovely things, and I, I totally think that it, it's all about going back to us, not only during the pandemic, but even outside of the pandemic. 
when it comes to the environment, it, it's all about my own actions and how can I contribute to this? How, what can I do? Yeah. I, I agree so much, well, Natasha. Uh, uh, Sorry, uh, I was just going to say it's like... Uh, no, go ahead. Finger pointing at others, saying others are doing this or that. It doesn't really resolve anything. But if each one of us makes an effort to, to live and do as we think is correct, that will create a domino uh, effect because other people can see our example, our relatives, our families, our neighbors. Even, I mean, you're talking about, I work in a hospital, but uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the hospital when you're working there, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not a nurse in the clinical sense, but I work in the hospital. You have to wear a particular type of mask by the rule of the NHS, if you're walking in there. But, and that's a disposable mask. But in my private life, when I get in my car, I have my cloth mask that I wash and use again. And my colleagues as well. So when we are out and about in the supermarket or at home, we, are, we use our cloth mask. When we go to work, we use the one that we have to use because it's a hospital regulation. So it's just it could be easy just to carry on and pick up a bunch from the hospital, carry on using them at home. But they say, no, this is just creating more rubbish. So it's little things like that that then think, oh, yeah, somebody can say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, good idea. I'll do the same. It just generates uh, by example. Sorry, uh, I think, St was it Stevan wanted to say something? No, I, I, yeah, I, I just want to say, uh, I agree 100% with Natasha. We have to use the PPE. Um, but uh, I think what we need to change here uh, is not the waste, is the how we need to think collectively. You know, I, uh, we need to respect everyone's boundaries and help each other. So why we don't act like this? We always have like excesses of waste, excesses of everything. You know, uh, we need to think more about the other. It's not saying, not just throwing something, oh, there is someone here who, who gonna, who, who, who gonna clean this. So we we need to we need to do our part. It's not because there are uh, someone who gonna clean allows me to throw things on the floor or throw things anywhere. So why we don't change these this this uh, this concept this mind concept? We we will see things like this like. I think in the Caribbean Sea, there is a lot of plastics in the ocean. So we will see this. So we need to change the mindset of everyone. Bringing this to spiritism, for example, there is a part of the gospel that I always loved, which was um, even when I was back into being a child, which is that, that part of the gospel that talks about... Um, the lilies in the field and the birds in nature. That, you know, it, it talks about why do you worry that you will not get enough? I mean, God provides for the lilies. God provides for the birds. Why wouldn't he provide to you? 
and I always been I always been very touched by that part of the gospel, because it it brings that feeling about you know it will be provided. I will receive as much as I need. But I guess the problem here is the word need. How much do I want? Do I really need? How much about this is necessity, and how much is um, uh, how much of it is a necessity, and how much of it is just excess? Is just I just want it because I want it. Do I really need to change my mobile phone every two years? Do I really need to be buying things because I'm bored? Do do I really need that much food? The amount of food we throw away every day. It, so when it comes to that, the truth is that the earth can provide us. And there is even, if, if you read the, 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 the Spirit's book, there is a question about it as well, about why doesn't the earth provide enough for everybody that lives within the earth? And the truth is that earth does provide, but we do not know how to share. We are societies that are composed by three-year-old toddlers that do not <laughs> still learning how to share their toys. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, uh-huh. we, we look about ourselves, we look into our family, we look into our society, and we don't really look. We are still learning how to look into humanity as, as a single family, isn't it? And, and that's the core of the problem is for us to understand what is it that I need and what is it that I don't need. It is just, I just want it. Yeah. And now you're talking about need and not need and children. And we know that all of this, the pandemic and even pollution affects children a lot um, all around the world. And over the past few years, we've had various reports of youth movement in benefit of the environment, such as Nobel Prize winner Greta Thunberg, who's inspired millions of children with her climate change campaigns. And kids around the world have been central to helping everything from petitions to stop sending plastic waste to other countries, organizing litter pickings on the beaches, as well as even petitioning specific shops to stop selling children's comics and magazines that have cheap plastic toys. And even McDonald's and Burger King have actually agreed to stop providing cheap plastic toys in their meals because of petitions from children. So have we underestimated the resilience and understanding of children with regard to environmental issues? I don't think we did. (laughs) No. That's why when you when you the best way for you to be teaching is through children. If you do that, I know so many parents that learn how to recycle because we were teaching the children how to recycle at school. <laughs> you just go and you teach them and then they go home and they annoy their parents until they do start recycling. That's the best way. How many parents are scorned by children? Yeah. Sometimes unfairly, but many times <laughs> it makes sense and it's uh, the right thing to do. <laughs> but I would like to move a little bit uh, backwards to where Stephen finished about uh, uh, environment. Uh, I think there is a big matter of uh, conscience in, in, in this subject. 
moral conscience about our responsibilities, but also um, personal uh, self-reflection and, and self-knowledge, because we have to administrate better our needs, our demands, our expectations and desires to the level of satisfaction that we reasonably uh, need actually or, or are able to, to reach. I just wanted to add something about this uh, need and want and it's just like uh, like us the three-year-olds yes <laughs> we, we are learning and we, we are growing but I, I can see in my experience sometimes you have people uh, in terms of health like us like humanity uh, when we come from periods of like the famine and not enough food and coming to an, uh, times like now in Western Europe where there is an abundance of very energy high foods uh, at a very cheap price uh, available to most of people. A lot of people then go and they overindulge and eat too much, more than we need. And then we have the consequences in our health, in diabetes, in obesity that leads to cancers, uh, heart disease, all kinds of difficulties that are the consequences of us not knowing our limits. But it's like a child, let's say, who's looking at a sweetie shop and uh, the, the parents were controlling. You say you can have one sweetie and that's it. And then suddenly the parents disappear and you have access to the sweetie shop and you go, whoa, 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 let me have all the sweeties in the world. So sometimes we are behaving a little bit like that. So we are excited that we have this, all this available to us. And we are not, like Umberto would say, we are not awake. We are not conscious of what we are actually doing. Because if we, when we do become conscious, of course, we can enjoy our food, our cooking, everything. But we have to also think about the health of our physical body that is the vehicle, the instrument of our passage through Earth. So if we want this instrument to last us, to last us well, so that we can fulfill the projects we want to fulfill, we need to keep it in good shape. And that is a process that involves lots of layers of consciousness. And it, I, we can see so much, like in the UK nowadays, epidemics of uh, type 2 diabetes and things brought on for, by obesity. So it brought on by excessive availability of food and wealth. So, because why do we overeat? Because in the past we were hungry and now we, are, we have access to it. I say in the past, maybe like in other lives or previously in society and not individually, then now we want to take as much as we can. And so if we stop to reflect and wake up, and it's just like Natasha said, the, the planet provides, God provides what we need. We need to trust. That is enough for everybody. We don't need to be stockpiling neither toilet paper, nor rice, nor eggs. You know, there is enough for everybody. There is abundance in the world. But we are still afraid of the lack that we come in our history. And that's why we accumulate like the squirrels. Because we are afraid that maybe, maybe later on there won't be. So let me make sure I have enough. I think that the same logic can be applied to money. We are 
very often greedy dragons stockpiling uh, the resources, uh, not only gold, but also key resources that uh, may uh, be lacking uh, elsewhere. And it, it's part of the explanation for uh, universal state of poverty since uh, the beginning of civilization. Yeah. And I know that we don't want to go into things too political, but perhaps the current uh, distribution of the COVID vaccine is a bit like the toilet roll stockpiling situation. <laughs> but anyway, um, let, let's just move on, a, move on a little bit. Now, we've been talking a little bit about pollution and the environment and necessity and need. And one thing which is a bit of a concern now that some restrictions are being lifted in certain countries is that many people will want to get on a plane again. Now, we know that planes can be quite polluting. But have you heard about this, that researchers in the USA are currently looking into ways to convert our green food waste into fuel, which might actually cut greenhouse gases by 70% for planes compared to fossil fuels that they would normally use. The Department for Transport here in the UK has launched their Jet Zero campaign with a competition of £15 million to find effective ways to make the same kind of fuel. Now, does science have a responsibility to help the planet? I think we can answer that straight away and say, yes, it does. The problem with biofuel is uh, to look into one that is energy efficient enough to make the planes go out. That's the catch. There's already cars that work on biofuel. Uh, you already have trains that work on biofuel. Lots of things already work on biofuel. McDonald buses. Yes, the <laughs> McDonald buses. Yes. <laughs> they work on biofuel. Yeah. But, but this is actually a very valid point. So I work in the automotive industry, and there are many lines of research into alternative fuels. So obviously we have lots of electric cars around nowadays, which is great. But we know that they're not the most effective and efficient things hydrogen fuel cells are being looked into and so luckily we are seeing that science and manufacturing and people working with transport are taking this quite seriously that they want to help get things going well even the big petrol petrol company, companies such as shell are investing a lot into green and renewable energies now we wanted to say that it's really great to hear from everyone who's watching and listening to us we asked you in the last episode to send us your feedback, your thoughts, your stories about who or what has been inspiring to you during the pandemic. And we'll be reading out some of these a little bit later. But starting in the next episode, we'll be having a small section called What Does Spiritism Say About? Where you can send us your questions about how Spiritism looks at and understands any subject. It can be based on recent news, a personal event, or just out of curiosity. So send us your questions and we'll look at them in the next episode. And remember, you can contact us via the Cardec Group Facebook page, Twitter account, via the Cardec Group website, www.cardec.org.uk, or by emailing insightfully at cardec.org.uk. And you can find these details in the description of wherever you're watching or listening to us from. Now, a nice new modern and very bizarre phenomenon that's been sweeping the newspapers recently is digital materialism. 
For those who perhaps have not seen these stories, there is a large rise in what's known as non-fungible tokens, digital or virtual creations such as pictures, 3D images of clothes or shoes, or even houses, which are selling for huge sums of money. The people paying for these items have the right to own them, download them, and do what they want with them. For example, a 3D house sold recently for over $500,000. The first tweet by a co-founder of Twitter sold for almost $3 million. And a piece of digital artwork that's taken 13 years to create sold for $79.4 million. But we are talking about things that do not exist in the physical world and can only be seen on your computer, online, as an asset in a video game, or via a specific app on your phone. And just as with physical fashion, we know that some of these things will, at some point, become out of fashion and get discarded. So, do you think this is just a short-term novelty, or a worrying sign of the state of human vanity? And do you think that this could evolve to be a trend that helps charities? Let's go to Umberto first on this. Oh, that sounds like a great topic, but uh, I, I would like to question the, the premise uh, and think about the possibility of uh, this being a sort of uh, spiritual or idealistic or intellectual phenomena instead of materialism, because uh, people are actually changing material objects or uh, so to say, real objects in the material sense for the idea of an object or the concept of an object or the image of an object. It, it may be the case uh, of considering this phenomenon a sort of proof that uh, people are ready to leave more mental experiences uh, and psychological experiences than uh, concrete ones and uh, it is um, maybe uh, in the human nature to, to consider these psychological experiences as worthy as the material ones. If that's the case, we could uh, uh, speculate about a sort of development of human uh, consciousness in the direction of more abstract uh, sorts of life and experiences that do not depend on uh, the physical objects so much. No waste. I like it. There's no waste. <laughs> you can buy as many digital clothes as you like. And none of them are going to go to waste. And wear them in your mind. Yeah. Or on the computer. The only yeah. thing I have with that is what do you do when you run out of power? I think this is uh, like everything. Uh, I think the creations are neutral. I think our power for creation is, is always uh, evolving. But what we do with the creations depends from our moral perspective. And I just came to mind, like, you know, uh, the development of uh, gunpowder and uh, explosives, TNT, you know. So that was thinking that that could be something positive for the mining industry or something. But then somebody comes up with the idea, you can make a bomb with it. You know what I mean? So the, the, the creation, the, the inventions, they are neutral. But what do we do with them? So for sure, there will be somebody 
that uh, thinks that it's a good idea to use this for uh, with bad intentions and there will be other people who will find really good intentions and solutions for other things it's like uh, I was so shocked well, because I'm not a very tech person uh, a couple of years ago I went to a fair with my, my daughters and they, they from a group from a hospital they were demonstrating for young people 3d printing of heart valves so the computer screen this is already working and happening in the real life i was so surprised the computer does a scan of your heart it does a scan of your heart valve that needs replacing and then they print there and then it's a 3d printing a valve that will fit your heart precisely because everybody's heart is slightly different all our bodies are slightly different and I was like, wow, this is amazing, because I could never understand, you know, this 3D printing things, but I could see it there happening in front of my eyes. So in the same way, somebody in a hospital is creating a valve that's going to perfectly fit your heart, so the surgery has much greater chance of success, somebody over there is printing a gun. You know, so the technology is there for the advancement, but what we are doing with it depends on our moral state of our intentions and that is where uh, whether this is going to be good or bad will be depending on who's using it with what intention great I'm making a link to the former program about the pandemic some few people are finding God in in the isolation in our modern desert but most people are finding demons and this is totally mm -hmm. up to us it's amazing i i see i understand the natasha's points like great young words like wasting free but at the same time we do have like companies uh building uh let's say funds to to keep working for two years after two years that phone was wonderful starts not uh, working properly and you need to buy another one no so we do have uh, like we are we are all here the time in which uh, uh, we have a, a commercial a TV commercial with the color red and the color yellow to produce on us the the, the, the feeling to, to 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 be to hung to become hungry. And this this is happening today in the today world. Like why someone will pay like three million dollars in a Twitter just to say I own it. So what's the value? We we we, we don't uh, we still need to work our sense of uh, value within ourselves. So it's it's again like uh, I buy a car, but my neighbor buy a, a brand new car. So I I'm not happy with my new my my new car because they need one. And you can see sometimes a new car is launched by a company and the difference between previous model and the new model is just the color. But someone needs to have that car. 
So what is our values? Uh, progress, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. This is a law, such a law. No, uh, uh, two, two things are certain in our lives. You will gonna die and the law of progress, is, it's gonna happen. These two things is the most certain thing in life. But how we are using it, instead of reviling ourselves, uh, 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 bringing real value, we are still buying cars just because one car has like a, a S without fancy things. I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> I can totally see the question that you have, Adam, um, regarding. Can we call it something materialism if it's nothing material involved on it? it it's, it's not really anything. But I will go with Stefan here. Is a, I would still call it, even if there's nothing material about it. If you consider materialism not in a sense of something material that I have to have, but materialism on a sense that why is it that I'm purchasing it? What the reason behind my action? If the reason behind my action is uh, just because I need to feel better about myself or it's a very limited, it, it's based on a very limited understanding of myself, of my own needs, then I still think we can call it materialism. It, it's so, it, it all goes down to the reason behind it. Why am I doing this? even if there's nothing material involved. That's very interesting. Uh, about what I said before, I, I wanted to play with the concepts, but uh, in a more oriental way, we could say that materialism is linked to attachment and we, we can be attached to uh, psychological states or relationships or people or ideas to our country, to ideologies and to whatever uh, we are passionate about. And uh, the sub subservience to things, I think, is the, the key to, to the idea of materialism. It's not necessarily connected to a physical object, always. So perhaps I think the big learning for this is we need to create some wonderful abstract digital art and sell it for charity. <laughs> yes. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> right. Well, let's look at a little bit more science now. Is there a flaw in the laws of physics? Data collected by researchers at the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland think they have seen behavior in the subatomic particle known as the beauty quark which might be the result of an undiscovered subatomic particle. If their findings are correct, it would mean that these physicists have found a flaw in the main theories that explain how the universe works. There's a doctor from the University of Bristol who's quoted as saying, the discovery of a new force in nature is the holy grail of particle physics. Our current understanding of the constituents of the universe fall remarkably short. We do not know what 95% of the universe is made of, or why there is such a large imbalance between matter and antimatter. 
Within Spiritism, we know that we humans might not have the ability to fully understand the universe, and what we think is the smallest particle is far from the most elementary form of matter. Do we think that science has a chance of finding out the secrets of the universe? I, I don't think so. We are not there yet. We can find some paths, but understanding the, the, the purpose of life, understanding God's reasons, it's, it's beyond our, our, let's say, our evolution, you know, like, we will find it someday, for sure, but not now. I don't think now. It is a hard question, but uh, as a non-scientist, as a philosopher, I think that these revolutions in science teach us much about humility and about how much we still do not understand about the nature. Uh, we usually think that our current scientific understanding of the world is enough or is pretty close to the ultimate reality and to the end of all things and to the last theory but uh, it, it, it doesn't take too long to see another revolution uh, after the corner and we pretty quickly uh, learn that uh, nature is complex, tricky, full of mysteries, full of uh, blind uh, spots that we can only hardly, uh, hardly have uh, insight about and uh, this is already a very interesting uh, thing to, to learn, to know about reality, that we don't get it all. I think I'm going to second everybody on that. Uh, I just need maybe to point out, uh, Umberto, that um, I don't think it's only a, a philosophical issue, it's a scientific issue as well. I've been already on the academic um, academy for very many, many years of my life, and the best scientists that I ever met, the trait that you could see in all of them was they were all very humble to the fact that they were just at the beginning of their fields. So um, the ones that are actually looking, science on its true and, and most basic principle is the fact that we are looking and we are learning. And most of the things are not taken for granted. Everything that you're doing, you have to study and keep on studying. And you're going to keep on proving or disproving. And you don't really want to believe until you're certain. And certainty is something that doesn't come with science. You're going to have 99.99% .99 certainty, but you very rarely are going to pick up a scientific article that says we know this for sure. That's what the you know newspapers that read the scientific articles, that's what they put on the news. But that's not what the, the scientific articles say. Um, but I'm going to also be seconded to Stefan about it. Is, uh, I also don't think that we're going to find the answer. And the reason because is um, scientists are humans. And there is a limitation to our understanding. There is only so much we can comprehend. There is only so much that we can do. So we will get there as we evolve intellectually, as we evolve morally. Science evolves at the same pace that humans evolve. So as we evolve, science will evolve. Eventually, we're going to get there. But I don't think we're quite there yet. 
the progress is inevitable, as said before, but it goes at the speed that is suited to us as, as a species, as humanity. And uh, there, we can only see and discover new things as we are able to deal with them. And as we discover new things, it's like the, then there's always something beyond. And if anybody has makes any kind of statement, yeah, we've got it, we know it all, you know that that person knows nothing. Because if I think that going back, even I've mentioned this before, when I think of the human body and medicine, and people have expectations that the doctors know everything about the, the human body, and the doctors that think they know everything about the human body are the ones you want to keep very far away from. To have that respect for the unknown. I'm from a generation that had their tonsils chopped out because they were useless. They weren't useless, they're a very important part of the immune system, except that in those days they hadn't discovered the immune system. So this is just a piece of something they're making no point, so let's just chop it out. What kind of arrogance was driving that? You know what I mean? So then you have this kind of uh, evolution where, oh, we discovered this, uh, our immune system and it's got really important portals. One of them are the tonsils. <laughs> and then suddenly the tonsils are very important. But, you know, I don't have any tonsils. I have, a, <laughs> I have lots of friends who are all the same because the doctors thought they were useless. And I think I look back almost uh, with pity at the arrogance, the vanity, because, you know, to know that what do I know, I know nothing, puts you in a much better place to be in awe that you can always discover something more. And as our technology advances, like, say, the machines we invent, the ways of seeing, of exploring, then more and more we, we can go discovering the natural world. But I think it needs to be step by step because... Even by what we've done, we've caused lots of impacts on, on our planet, on our home. If we're given too much knowledge too fast, and it, you know, we don't have that uh, moral development to do with it, you know, then uh, it could be, I think, uh, detrimental to us. So we, need to, we will go as humans discovering things step by step. And I am always fascinated and excited by the developments that we discover. It's just because it's another little piece of the jigsaw that is a massive jigsaw that we are only starting to build of our understanding of ourselves and the world we live in. Very wise words there. Now, linking science, theory, and religious thought together, it's good for us to mention quickly about a gentleman called John Polkinghorn, who was an Anglican priest and also a pioneer of quantum physics, who passed away just recently. He was an author of many books and a lecturer at Cambridge University, and saw no barrier between science and religion. Umberto, how significant was his work, and can there be a bridge between science and religion? Well, he's, uh, he was one of the most significant uh, authors uh, in, in the field science and religion, which is not exactly a, a science of or about religion, but the comparison between faith and science or religious traditions and, and science. 
I have here just in memoriam uh, a fragment that I think very significant of, of Polkinghorne's work from uh, the Rutledge Companion to Modern Christian Thought and his chapter in this book is uh, Theology and Science. Uh, his text says so. Uh, about theology and science, they are both realist in their understanding, but the qualifier uh, critical realism is here vital. Neither can claim to attain an unproblematic objectivity of the kind to which Enlightenment thinkers aspired. All scientific facts of interest are already interpreted facts. In science, raw registrations in measuring apparatus do not carry significance until they are interpreted theoretically in terms of what the apparatus is actually capable of measuring. There is a subtle hermeneutic exchange between theory and experiment as theory interprets experiments and experiments confirm or disconfirm theory. In consequence, science cannot claim to achieve absolute and comprehensive truth, but rather very similitude. The attainment of beliefs sufficiently well motivated to merit rational commitment while remaining open to the possibility of future modification. I think it has pretty much to do with what we said before. And now about theology. Theology also can uh, lay claim to no more than a degree of verisimilitude as the warnings of apophatic theology concerning the mystery of deity make clear. However, critics of religious belief have often failed to recognize the role of motivation in theological thinking, sometimes making the foolish claim that believers do so without evidence or even believe contrary to evidence. Theological motivations lie broadly in two domains, natural theology, arguing from general experience and the resources of reason, and revelatory based uh, on the record of particular events of divine disclosure recorded and interpreted within a religious tradition. I think uh, this comparison is uh, very, um, a very good example of uh, what Polkinghorne trying to do in his life in uh, his uh, remarkable works about the relationship between science and faith or science and religion, always in a very critical, open-minded, very rational way, which uh, has to do uh, a lot with uh, spiritism. Uh, another uh, sort of religious way of thinking that uh, was born from a scientific uh, endeavor a scientific uh, research on spiritual phenomena not uh, regarded as supernatural anymore but as uh, part of, of nature of human nature and, and nature in general and from uh, that research which is also um, common to uh, 
English-speaking modern spiritualism, for example, uh, Allan Kardec developed a philosophical system, very uh, strict, rigorous and, and rational. And from that philosophical system, we had uh, consequences to our moral life uh, and to our personal connection to the supreme source of everything, to, to the world order and connection to, to others. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like uh, John Polkinghorne and Alan Kardec should have been very good friends if they were meeting together in the cafe in Paris. Right, so now it's time to look at what you out there wanted to tell us about who or what had been inspiring you. And we've got a few comments here, and we're a bit short on time, so I'll read out just one or two. Uh, Tatiana has said, The strength of my friends who lost loved ones has been something that's been keeping me going, been practicing gratitude a lot more, such as working with and being with family, baking a lot more, spending a lot more time to meditate on a daily basis. Uh, this one, Anna Paola has said that the pandemic has helped to find balance between work and well-being. She's also increased her meditation practice, which has helped with her self-knowledge and knowing herself better, as well as understanding the motivation to lose over 10 kilos by focusing on her well-being. So well done there. And we've had various other ones where people have said that they've also had inspiration to be more active, to go off, go off and lose weight, to spend more time and just enjoy the time with family. So thank you to everyone for all those comments. Finally, have we underestimated the technological advancements of ancient civilizations? New research has been published about the Antikythera mechanism, a 2,000-year-old device, almost like a computer, which was found over 100 years ago. Only one-third of this ancient Greek device has actually survived. But by using 3D modelling, scientists from, the, from University College London have been able to recreate parts of the device, which used sm complex, small gears, and it's believed to have been able to predict eclipses and astronomical events. So do we really have an accurate idea of how advanced technologically civilizations were 2000 years ago? <laughs> I think that uh, in terms of history, what do we know about our own history? Very little. We know very little. So the history is the recorded history of our recent years written by those who decided to record it, their interpretation, their interest, their motivation, what survived of any written records. And uh, it's just very, uh, just, I always have the impression that in terms of history, it's like an iceberg. We only know the tip of the iceberg of, of our history. And I'm fascinated because one other thing to consider is like, when we think about the age of spirits who come to incarnate on a planet. So, you know, we, we're talking like a lot of, uh, of spirits who are, we are in a particular state of evolution. But we know that more advanced spirits can come. And uh, the knowledge you have is with you forever. And if you have advanced knowledge, but you don't have the tools available, you can invent uh, with what you've got see how you can make it because you do have that knowledge 
with you somewhere and you can find some way to express it. So it's, I think it's very possible that more advanced spirits, you know, were as they are from time to time with us, helping us to progress, that they were here in times where, you know, and helped to build machines like that, for sure. Uh, I think it's, but I think we know very little about it. And I would love to know more about it. I really would. Let's get a time machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. Who knows? Perhaps yeah, they like already that. had one. Does anybody has an old DeLorean back at home? <laughs> it's called mediumship. <laughs> Precognition. No, um, psychometry. I don't have Umberto, so... <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming up to the end now. But before we go, let's see if Annie has something for us for reflection. What have you got for us today? Uh, just a, a short reading from a little book called Living and Loving by the spirit Joanna de Angelis through the mediumship of Divaldo Franco. And uh, I chose a little passage here called Always in Peace. So when we read these little messages, it might be that nothing is really resonating and then one particular sentence resonates in your heart. So what I tend to do is when I read it, it's whatever sentence or whatever word sort of jumps to me, I kind of make a note of that and I take it with the week as my reflection for that week, a word, a sentence. So thinking about it on, on a level of the emotional, not just the, the cognitive uh, intellectual, but what does that, how does that reach you? So I hope you enjoy it. Always in peace. The violence that alarms mankind and bewilders the whole planet, springs from the hidden aggressiveness within the hearts of people. It generates both instability and unhappiness. Any display of evil produces unexpected reactions that may lead to hopelessness and belligerence. Jesus advised, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. It was a warning to remind us to keep a balanced attitude and to attend to our duties. Whatever the circumstances you might be struggling against, keep your peace. Be stern, but avoid rudeness. Enforce discipline but avert violence. Promote education, but oppose aggressiveness. Whatever you do, do it peacefully. When mistreated or suffering, hold your peace at all costs so that you may keep your tranquility. Jesus was always calm and serene regardless of circumstances around him. Real peace is rooted in absolute confidence in God. Remain undisturbed. Do all the good that you can do and do not line up with those who complain, are violent or unreasonable. Your peace reveals your life 
as much as the way you live affects the environment around you. Thank you, Annie. And I think that fits in so wonderfully with everything that we've had a chance to talk about today. Well, friends, that's it for this episode of Insightfully Speaking. So please don't forget to contact us with your thoughts, your comments and your story submissions. Send us your questions for what does Spiritism say about? And so it just leaves me to give a big thank you to our special guests, Natasha Aragon and Stephen Bartoso, to thank my co-hosts, Annie Sinclair and Umberto Schubert. My name is Adam Osborne, and we hope you can join us again next time for another episode of Insightfully Speaking, looking at the world from a spiritist perspective. Mm-hmm.